You're listening to episode 120 of the 200 Churches Podcast. So I can remember back um, to the very first Sunday that I came here, and somebody that was involved in the search process asked me, I think they wanted to see what my vision was for the church. And that's, you know, whenever a small church brings in a new pastor, they're hoping that like, this is the silver bullet. You know, right, this is right. the guy <laughs> is going to, he's going to take us to the next level. And, um, you go straight to the top. Yeah. And so somebody asked me, you know, what, what do you envision? How do you think the church will look like five years from now? So this would have been almost five years ago. I said, ah, oh, you know, we have a pretty large building. And I said, I could just picture, you know, the pews full of people who want to worship Jesus and who want to be transformed, not knowing anything about the dynamics of this community, right. or, you know, my context of where I've been right. called or the church history or anything. Welcome to the 200 Churches Podcast, where every Wednesday we produce a fresh episode of ministry encouragement for pastors of small churches. Now here are two guys who, like you, serve in the trenches of small church ministry. The Linus and Pigpen of ministry podcasts, Jeff and Johnny. This is the 200 Churches Podcast. I'm Johnny Craig. I'm with Jeff Katie, and we are joined today by an esteemed guest. We decided you're a legacy guest. That That's flattering and humbling at the same time. There you go. What's your name? Ryan Purs. Now, if, if you've been listening for a long time, this is almost like a pop quiz. What episode did Ryan Purs first appear on on over, the 200 Churches Podcast? Over 100 episodes, Ryan. Over 100 episodes ago, you appeared here on the podcast. I know, and thanks for inviting me back. I don't get invited back to things too often. So <laughs> I, you know, this is just like I was a kid who, during birthday parties, would I get invited back? Did I buy a good enough present to oh, get invited man. back the next year? And so, yeah, thanks. <laughs> so it. you're you're recording with us this hour, and you're seeing your psychologist the next hour? Yeah, yeah, after that's, lunch. That's yeah. good. About that those, good. some of those, you know, present issues yeah. of the past. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were good enough. Over 100 episodes ago. It is not an indication of the quality of that episode. Uh, it's an indication of our own lax uh, ability to get we, guests back. We've talked the, about having you back. Yes, we have. Yeah. Many, many times. And, you know, you just... And then I saw you at the park. And then he saw you at the community service and the stars aligned. So it was meant to be then, right? It exactly. was meant to be. It was meant to be. It, well, here's the cool thing. You're a small church pastor, a mm. church that has grown some modest growth, yeah. but now up to 55, not hovering under 50 since the last time we talked. The fact that two years later you're still at the church, mm. that's commendable. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, like, like you said, that um, obviously some, some modest growth does help. You know, if the church continues to shrink, you start to think, you know, am I at the right place? Right. Or, you know, am I doing something wrong? Or should I even be in ministry anymore? So, you know, that's encouraging and uh, obviously, you know, continues to help fuel the flames of ministry. So you never had that thought, should I be in ministry anymore? Uh, every Monday, I think, it, it comes up. I don't know. <laughs> what pastor hasn't had that thought? <laughs> that's a very common I, thing. I, I, think. I have that thought every every Saturday night. Oh, okay, yeah. I'm the opposite. That's the worst yeah. time to have it, I think. Yeah, no, I have it on set. Monday morning, man, I'm, I'm ready to go. You know, Sunday <laughs> after church. I'm so happy it's over with. It was. Oh, geez. It was usually, you know, it's it was over at least with. a base hit, and so oh, no Saturday my. nights, man. Saturdays, Saturdays are rough for me. Really? See, yeah. that's where I'm vamped up. I'm ready to go. And that's me yeah, too. I'm I, gonna be talking to my psychologist tomorrow. I think so. Yeah. About that. <laughs> that would be an interesting study. You know, uh, do some research on when pastors are the most discouraged yeah. and down. 
You know, is it the end of their week or maybe how it works with their their Sabbath day rest they take? I sure. don't know. But Do you take uh, Mondays off or Fridays? I take Fridays. Right. So. I think that's like the prevailing day off for pastors anymore is Fridays. It makes kind, sense. That's kind of the worldly day off, though. You know, the whole I think the holy day off is Monday. I think just like a Thursday. No, just to confuse your whole life. Just take Thursday because off. no, because then you take the dregs of your life. On a Monday, where you're shot and you're tired. I think the idea is just to have two days in a row, generally. Oh, is that what it is? I think. That's true. That's true. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm be- Ryan, no. you know I'm being smart, right? right? You I know, know yeah. You know, I'm just goofing around. Now, Ryan, you've got you've got a wife and a couple kids. How many kids you have We to want now? you to come back. I got, yeah, well, again, if I get invited back, I, I got you a good present. See, it's kind of hard when I'm carrying on one conversation with you and Johnny's You've had a another. baby since the last time. Well, you haven't. Your wife <laughs> yeah. has had a baby since the last time you were on the podcast. I, I think so, yeah. If I was here, what, 2013? Yep. Um, we had a daughter born... 2013, yeah. So she was born right around that time. Nice. I don't know if, if maybe my wife was expecting. But yeah, we have four kids now. So I have uh, my, my one son who's in third grade, and then I have um, uh, one in first, a uh, five-year-old ready to go into kindergarten, and then my daughter. My youngest now is two years old. So Oh, wow. Um, yeah, we got four, and that's that's good. I like even numbers. I was born on an even number day in an even number year, so even you, numbers are great. You sound like my wife. She she's like it has to be an even number of kids that we have. I'm like, why? Well, like, what's the difference? She's like, no, because even numbers are. It's like that's how you're supposed to have your kid. It's like so you'll have to have yeah. twins next. Yeah, we you know either twins you or you know, adopting two. You know, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He uh, sat on that three for a little while and it freaked him out. He's like, we gotta have another. Anyways, we're yeah. ta- I only bring up your family because we want to talk a little bit. Now, this is my life. This was my childhood growing up, right? That's right. Yeah. But yeah. what does it look like to raise a family in a under a fifth under one hundred church, basically? Because I think, I think at every level of church, there's different. There's different. You know, struggles. There's different strengths. There's different this and that. And before we got talking, you kind of had an analogy that I want you to get into. But what is it like to raise a family in a church that is under 100 people where, I mean, everybody knows your kids, you know, and your kids know everybody type of situation? Sure, yeah. Well, to begin with, you know, the family has to be your primary ministry team. Obviously, you're building a team of leaders in your church and, you know, that. But you have to have your family on board. They have to be your, your they're your closest team in ministry. And so that's the analogy I use. I'm a, I'm a big Pittsburgh Pirates fan. I think Johnny's a Cubs fan. Yeah. I don't know what uh, major league team you I like with. all the teams. He does, Jeff is not yeah. a sports fan. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I like I, baseball. I, I use sports football, metaphors, and he looks at me with a very classed over type of. My thing. father has a shrine to the Yankees in his basement. Oh, there you go. You're a Yankees fan. There there everything go. for the last fifty years he's gotten for his birthday or for Christmas has had something to do with the Yankees. There you so, go. Then you know okay. George Steinbrenner, all that kind of he's stuff. He's dead. Yeah, I know Billy. Uh, what, what, what was Billy's name? <laughs> Come on, you listeners, you know, Billy, know like little... the, the coach that worked for George Steinbrenner. I think he was the coach of the Yankees three different times. I oh, never followed the Yankees. Kept getting fired and rehired and fired and rehired. Anyway. Yeah, okay. Well, the so Pirates. Jeff's a, he's a default Yankees fan. There you go. Johnny's a... Billy Martin. Okay. Just remember it. Billy oh, Martin. Oh, my goodness. Our listeners will be glad. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll keep going. And uh, anyhow, <laughs> um, so, you know, I take this baseball analogy where I try to go to a Pirates game every year when we sure. go to Pittsburgh. 
And uh, the one year, usually we have to buy the nosebleed tickets. Just, you know, that's the way things are. And uh, we get there and you can barely see the team. You're so far away. And I think that describes how most churches that are larger than 200 or, you know, your mega churches, um, they see the pastor's family, his team at a distance. You know, you can't really make out the numbers. You can't even make out the players really well. Um, so that would be my guess. And I, obviously I've never been in that situation. But I think um, the closer that you get to the actual team describes uh, the smaller church situation. So last year, my dad got these really great tickets. It was Military Appreciation Day. We were three rows back behind the third baseline. And you can actually hear the ball cut across the grass when it was a foul ball. And you can see the players. I mean, you can see their faces. You can hear them talk. And I think that describes your church that's under 200 or under 100, mm-hmm. is that's how close the people are to your family in proximity um, and so, you know, that has both negative and positive events, just like fans, you know, fans can either be really supportive and encouraging, or it can, can be really cantankerous right. even towards their own team, which maybe describes, you know, your church members too. Ooh, that's good, uh, Ryan. I like that toward their own team. Yeah. You know, maybe it's just Pittsburgh fans, but you know, they're, you were they're screaming in a clutching. Is that what you're trying to say? They can be quick to throw a player <laughs> under the bus. You know, it's true. If they're in a slump, they're not encouraging. So yeah, that's another in whole Pittsburgh? in Pittsburgh. Oh. Believe it or not, you know. <laughs> Hey, we're not Philadelphia. It's Pittsburgh. Oh, and, uh, now, now you're throwing shade. All right. Um, but uh, I think that, you know, that picture describes our experience with raising our kids. You know, there's people that are very close to our family, and it's almost the whole church. You know, when you're talking about 50 people, they'll usually offer unsolicited advice on mm. how to raise your kids. A lot of it can be really helpful, but sometimes you feel, you know, a little bit of pressure and obviously there's you know that that fish tank that fishbowl syndrome that the pastors kids um can can find themselves in oh yeah and so yeah that's been my experience is that it's just very close proximity you know go ahead what were the challenges when you had your number 4 in terms of maintaining your ministry schedule mm-hmm. so you you had the fourth kid and maybe the fourth kid was easy for yeah you yeah because you know you had the first three it's kind of old hat mm-hmm. but you're already in zone you know yeah. what I'm saying? were there some challenges to when you added just another one in terms of your you as a pastor and your ministry schedule um you know it was more difficult actually our first three because i was in seminary i was working two jobs and i felt like i was just pushed to the max this was actually nice because uh, i thought i was more helpful to my wife maybe she would say the opposite i don't know <laughs> we need to have her um, on here so you know i was still when we had our our daughter karis a couple years ago i was still getting in the whole routine of ministry which was helpful because that was still within the first two years. So I'm still trying to figure out the flow of things. And so it kind of worked well. It wasn't a huge adjustment. I think one thing you know that I remember is at that time, my wife was able to invest a lot in some of the ladies. And I think because she had to start devoting a lot of her time now to this new baby, that may have created some tension with some people because she just couldn't have, she didn't have the time to, to invest. So it was more on her end, not necessarily mine. Um, that I remember. You know, I think that, you know, like I said, I was raised in churches. My dad was the pastor. We were joking. I asked you if your wife played the piano just as a joke. And my mom obviously always played the piano at the church. And uh, they they were churches anywhere from 30 to 60 people. I mean, real so small churches, you know. Uh, And the pressure on my mom to be, it was almost like my dad's secretary, my dad's, you know, ministry partner, my dad's, you know, ministry leader. I mean, they had six kids. 
And I just remember how much stuff my mom did at the church and for the church. When I moved here, I said to Jeff, what, you know, what is like my wife going to be expected to do? And he was kind of like, whatever she wants, nothing, basically. Mm -hmm. Whatever she wants to do is what she can do. And I thought, what? (laughs) That's like never in my life have I heard of this about a pastor's wife. And, And I felt blessed by that. I think she did as well to not have this like pressure to be all these things. But what you're talking about, I think that's a real pressure that probably a lot of pastors who are listening feel. How did you, how do you walk, your wife's name is Emily. Yeah. How do you walk with Emily through, you know what I'm saying? How do you support her and how do you walk with her through those types of, you know, struggles and that type of pressure? Sure. I I always encourage my wife. uh, Obviously, I look at her as my wife, but also as she's a member of the church too. And what's my expectation of every member is that they serve where they're gifted. And so, yeah, just like the pastor in a small church has to wear a lot of hats I think that's been true with my wife too. You know, she has to wear several different pastors' wives, wife hats. But at the same time, I don't want her devoting most of her time out of her gifting because that's when people burn out. That's when people, you know, get jaded at the church because they're serving in ways that God hasn't really gifted them. And so I've just encouraged her, you know, find where you're gifted. And that's why she's not playing the piano right now. <laughs> right. Uh, she, she actually can play the piano, but she doesn't feel gifted to, to lead a worship service sure. in that way. And so, you know, she does a lot for our children's ministry. She does a lot with a, a women's prayer group that's going on. Uh, there's a lot that she does. And then just one-on-one, I mean, she invests in a, a lot of the ladies in a one-on-one way that I don't. But that's where she feels gifted. You know, she's not right. doing the things that she doesn't necessarily feel uh, it's pushing her out of the box too much. I think that's a good word, you know, just thinking about your your spouse. And if you're a female pastor, your husband, I, I'm assuming it goes the same way. Your spouse is a ministry partner with you. And, and my wife does. She, she does things around the church. She's uh, active in the women's ministry, mops, things like that. Um, but it is, it, you have to focus on that giftedness. Mm-hmm. And as a pastor, we have to be jack of all trades, right? We have to have our hands kind of in everything. And then the smaller the church, the more you need to have mm-hmm. your hands in it, obviously. But our wives, I think that what you said is absolutely true. It's about giftedness. And it's about, because when you press your spouse into service, when you press, press your husband or wife into service in an area that they're not gifted in, I mean, that's just going to, that's just going to burn them out. I, I remember we have, um, Paul Kuzma, the Emotionally Healthy Church. He's he's a guest that we've had on. He works with that organization now. Right, right. The guy who wrote the book, I can't think of what the book, who wrote it, but... It's Peter Scazzaro. Yeah, he oh, tells yeah. a story about his wife on a Saturday night. You say Saturday nights are bad for you. Apparently, they were bad for his wife. Uh, his wife on a Saturday night, standing up on the bed, he remembers this vivid detail and saying, I quit, I'm done with the church, I quit. Yeah. And I think he would say he had pressed her into doing all sorts of things mm-hmm. as a pastor instead of toward giftedness, and I think that's a really good word. So, Ryan, we, you're, you're actually a real, live, small church pastor. We have you in our studio. Uh, let me ask you this question. We've Johnny and I have talked about this a lot, and we've thought about this. Sometimes it's it's hard for us because, you know, we're us, and we're, um, we don't think of ourselves as representative of all our listeners. Mm-hmm. So it's easier for me to think of you as representative of so many of our listeners, what, as a pastor, what are some of the things, maybe maybe just one or two things, that you struggle with as a pastor of a smaller church? Now, you, you might think that, you know, if your church were 300, you wouldn't struggle with it. Mm-hmm. But what are some of those things that are unique to a pastor of a smaller church? Yeah, I think that 
we have the tendency to, and this is just general American culture. It's guys to always size ourselves up against other guys and other, and that happens in the pastoral world, you know? So that's why the numbers, that's why it's 200 churches, um, because size right. does, it does matter. Right. Um, but you know, when we start making that our identity, where, well, I'm the pastor of a church of 50, or, or I'm, at least I'm not the pastor of a church of 25 or 12, you know, that's that sure. shrinking right, in right. size. Um, there's, there's huge pitfalls, and that's very destructive. You know, we need to make sure any pastor church of any size, even if it's very successful and growing, you know, let's say you're going to get over the 200 barrier someday, you still need to make sure that size isn't your identity. And also, there's a book I read, I can't remember the title, but um, there's a chapter on pastoral envy. I think it was... Um, uh, Everything Seminary Doesn't Teach You by James Emery White. Yeah. And uh, there's a chapter there on pastoral envy. I think just, you know, pastors in general, we need to be so careful that we guard ourselves against envy because there's always going to be a church that, that has more going on than ours. There's always going to be a church that we can envy or a ministry that we can envy. And we just need to be really careful that we trust that God has given us what we can handle right now and maybe some of it is due to you know our lack of leadership skills, but at the same time, you know we're all on in general on the same team, and we need to be thankful for what God has provided in others. And so, yeah, I guess that would be the the first thing that I would just encourage the listening audience that may be struggling with the size of their church and maybe it right. hasn't grown to, to their expectations. And that's probably maybe another thing is just to be careful. I've, I learned this at first. I can remember back. Um, to the very first Sunday that I came here, and somebody that was involved in the search process asked me, I think they wanted to see what my vision was for the church. And that's, you know, whenever a small church brings in a new pastor, they're hoping that, like, this is the silver bullet. You know, right, this is right. the guy is going to, he's going to take us to the next level. And, um, you're going straight to the top. Yeah. And so somebody asked me, you know, what, what do you envision? How do you think the church will look like five years from now? So this would have been almost five years ago. And I said, ah, oh, you know, we have a pretty large building, and I said I could just picture, you know, the pews full of people who want to worship Jesus and who want to be transformed, not knowing anything about the dynamics of this community, right? Or, you know, my context of where I've been right. called or the church history or anything, and uh, so I had these big expectations and visions. Sure. And um, you know, we have to be careful too our, of our expectations. And I'm not saying we shouldn't step out in faith and believe that God can do amazing things. And really, you know, shake things up. If he wants to, he can. But we need to be careful where our expectations are. And then what, what does growth look like? I think I mentioned at the beginning how our church experienced moderate growth. And I'm thankful for that because the one thing, I don't want our church to grow by transfer growth. You know, there are people who right. have gotten upset at the new pastor that came in down the street. And so now we got this new group of people. That's, that's horrible growth. Nobody wants that type of growth because that's just growing with other problems. Uh, the type of <laughs> right. growth, growth that we want is really outreach to the unchurched, which we've done some of that in our church, um, was just reaching out to people who aren't churched and inviting them. And uh, the other type of growth is new families come into this community, and we want to say, you know, if this is a fit for you guys, if you, you're, they're already Christians and we want to see if they'll fit into our ministry, we want them, we want them on board. That's the type of growth. And if that's your goal of growth, your growth is probably going to be more moderate. If you want to just grow your church, you know, with the huge numbers, sometimes it will be a lot of that transfer growth because you got things going on that maybe other churches don't, and sure. you just get members that come because of that. 
uh, that they're already, you know, they've hopped around two or three different churches. So the expectations, I guess, is the other thing I'd be cautious about. What are your expectations? And really, you know, is our expectations because we want to grow our own kingdom and our own name. We want to, sure. you know, we want to be that guy that took it to the next level. And, you know, that's problematic, too. Now, Ryan, before you came to this church, were, were you in a ministry? I mean, is this your first ever job in a church? Yeah, this is my first uh, full-time pastoral job. And so that's um, another helpful thing to, to bring into the discussion. I think there's another book I would recommend. It's a One Church Size Doesn't Fit All. Uh, Gary McIntosh, I think, writes it. And, um, you know, it's kind of a narrative, and there's this pastor who's really discouraged because he goes into his first church, and nothing's happening like he you thought would happen. And uh, he has a wiser pastor come along and counsel him and basically say, you know, you came from these situations where you had experienced a larger church scenario. Now right. you have a smaller church, and your expectations are all out of whack. So, you know, to, to answer your question, Johnny— the church I came from, which I wasn't on staff or anything, but I was serving in, was a church that ran, you know, eight hundred to a thousand people every sure. Sunday. So I come here to Orange City to a church of fifty, and some of my expectations are things are going to go the way they did there. So, right. Yeah. So what what's the shift then from being part of a team, a ministry team, to being a solo? Pa- I mean, what was like the hardest growing pain, maybe I'm asking, from being part of like, I am one piece of this huge, we have all these staff people, all these volunteer leaders, mm-hmm. and and we're a team together doing this. There's like such a great feeling to that, to then showing up, you know, day one, sitting in your office and realizing, oh man, the sun rises and sets on me a little bit here. I mean, so what what was that yeah. transition like? Yeah, just learning, first of all, that uh, things take a lot of time to grow. Mm. And, uh, you know, it, things, you got to be patient. I was not a patient guy at first. Uh, I come from the, you know, the, the younger, restless type of crowd. I've, sure. I've always lived in cities too, which that was another culture shift is in cities where you know, things can move a lot quicker and relationships sometimes just look different. And so I had to understand how to relate to people in a small rural farming community too. And yeah, there was a the big learning curve there I had. Now, Ryan, you're connected, though, with pastors in another church nearby. Are, are there a group of pastors that you meet with or mm-hmm. another church that sponsors you or at least encourages you? Yeah, well, we have both you know, our association. that uh, It's a Northwest Iowa Baptist Association. So we meet, and but there is even a different dynamic because we have some pastors who are in Sioux City and some who are in you know towns smaller than the town I'm at. Uh, but I've also tried to connect with other pastors here in this community because I need to learn from the pastors who have been here for a little while and know how people are and know how to relate to them. So, And that's another thing. you know, Being the solo pastor, you need to have some support out there, some outside support other than just your board and your church or the people in your church. You need to either find a mentor or some pastor that is seasoned and can help you through things. And maybe that's even the function of this podcast for some who can't even find that. Maybe you're sure. one of the only pastors within you know 50 miles, so this is why you're listening. That's awesome, too. You're really dumping out a lot of good stuff here. I mean, I, I asked you what were some of the things that you struggle with, and I think you laid out five or six different things. And now talking, I think, so important about relationships with other pastors. So... Mm-hmm. Have you intentionally met with the other pastors in our community? And for those who don't know, I mean, we're in a community together with about 14 churches Mm -hmm. that have full-time pastors or more than one pastor on the staff. Um, How have you structured your, your approach to that in terms of meeting with the other pastors? Do you just do it? 
at the local ministerial meeting? Do you do you go out of your way to have lunch with any of them? How have you approached that? Yeah, I actually had to be more intentional about it. Cause like you said, we have a local ministerial, but that's you know that's not a time of real mentoring or where. Sure. Uh, obviously, if a guy was going through a rough time, he would get support there. But yeah, I've been intentional at least with two pastors in this community. They've been here. Both of them are familiar with the community enough that they have probably a combined 30 years of experience in this neck of the woods and their pastoral experience, too. So I had to be intentional, and I had to actually you know, make an effort to try to get with these guys and pick their brains. And you know. How do you think you would be different if you had not done that? Like if you came and only fellowshiped with the Baptist pastors and other communities that you're you know, connected to through your association— and really didn't get because there's not you're in a Southern Baptist church. Mm. There's 13 other churches that are not Southern Baptist. Yeah, and so you're talking about get learning from and being mentored by pastors from like other denominations. Ew. How yeah, does that work? <laughs> so how how would you be if you hadn't yeah. done that? Yeah, it's great. I, you know, I probably would have died on the vine by now. Hmm. I think we open it up by saying I've made it another two years and that was part of it is getting the encouragement. And then, you know, these are pastors that lead churches that are above 200 and are um, larger churches that have done really well. They, some of them have a heritage of over a hundred years old here in this community, but it's also dealt with that envy issue too. You know, when you get to know these pastors, you get to see their heart and that they really love Christ and that they're supportive. And that's another thing, you know, it shows their humility when they're not too busy to take time to invest in a guy who is a different denomination and has a church that is very small. It shows their humility, and then it causes me not to have uh, an envious feeling because they have a bigger church, because I see them as, you know, co-labor in the gospel. Right. Yeah. And that's that's a huge piece of it, too, I think, is... I think competition, like you brought up earlier, right... Envy and competition are part of our nature, and that's something I have to tamp down frequently is I'm not in competition with other churches, right? We're all doing kingdom work, and it's not a big competition. And I think that is so important for small church pastors to realize because, yeah, we can we can get on our moral high horse or our mm-hmm. doctrinal high horse or whatever it is and see it in those types of ways when it's not supposed to be. Now, being a pastor— I take this job more seriously than any other job that I've ever had. And we joked about this last time. We're all three former UPSers, yeah. right? So we all worked at UPS. You didn't take UPS seriously? I mean, I took it seriously, but I left it. When I left UPS, yeah. I left UPS for the day. You know what I mean? And I worked at Wells Fargo, you know, a different bank, Starbucks. I worked at for a while. Apparently, I'm drawn to the large mega corporations. But I worked at all those places, and it never stressed me out that bad. Even when I had a management role, even when I had people answering to me, even when I had a boss who was yelling at me, I could leave it at the door. I have found that being a pastor is so immensely frustrating at times. And I've had to come to Jeff and say, look, we can work through this. I'll be a big boy. I'll be an adult around other people. How did you say? Comport yourself like an adult. With fine comportment. With fine comportment. I said, fine, I'll do that. I'll do all of that in the broader context. But Jeff, you need to listen to me vent a little bit in the here and now. Like, I got to get it out of my system. Now, I don't know if you're a big venter, but how do you cope with your frustrations that are going to happen as a pastor? How do you cope with those without, I mean, do you punch a wall? Like, no. you don't have a guy to go Yeah, hitting a at. golf ball is more enjoyable than punching a wall and <laughs> okay. less expensive, usually. Well, you know, depending on where you golf, it can be pretty expensive. <laughs> but um, 
you know, we as pastors need to remind ourselves that we are human too. Um, and part of being a human is you need a Sabbath. Uh, mm-hmm. And however you find your personal Sabbath, you know, we talked about what days do pastors take off and are they discouraged on other days. But, you know, pastors need a Sabbath and to remind ourselves that we're not God, too. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, pastors, we can create our own Messiah complex. Obviously, some people in the church, they, they see that in us. They think that we're the Savior. But our, our job is to lead them to the Savior, not to be their Savior. And so, you know, it's my frustration because I'm trying to be Christ and I'm not. You know, that's some things. Um, and obviously, yeah, just that we're human. And part of being human is that we sometimes respond in sinful ways. And so, you know, also to have somebody like like you talked about, Jeff, where you, you can go and you bounce stuff off or vent or whatever, and where they're able to kind of keep you in check. You obviously mm-hmm. need to have somebody of, in a, a, as a mentor or just a, another person that you're able to be transparent enough with that they, they know who you are. They know you're a human being, too, and they're not going to just you know, start quoting a bunch of Scripture to you saying, what's the matter with you? Sure. Where, you know, they recognize your humanness, mm-hmm. and they're still going to be there to pray for you and support you through it all. So you don't take it out. My biggest thing is I need. I always have to watch how much I'm venting my frustrations to my wife because yeah. she, if she she's not an insider in the same way that Jeff or I, you know, we have all this knowledge and all this understanding and things like that. And if I vent too much frustration with my wife, then it then then she's frustrated too, and it serves a, a very wrong purpose. Yeah, is that something you've experienced? Yeah, we've we've dealt with that in the sense of you know wh- how much should she know about certain things mm. or even you know maybe it's nothing frustrating that has happened at church but you know there's some pretty dark situations in every church how much does my wife need to know what's going to bring sure. her down what's going to cause her to to be down spiritually because of this and i don't even know the right balance with that yet because we obviously like i said we're a team you know it's, right. it's team ministry within our family but what's not helpful for her to know what is god called me just as a pastor to be able to deal with uh, and i don't have the answer to that just just recently my wife said to me uh, honey i feel like i don't even like our church right now because of some of the things that were, you know, conversations that were had, mm. some of the struggles that we just happen to be working through, um, I think to know that you just said, you know, we're human and sometimes we respond in sinful ways. And there, I think it's okay to know for pastors and pastors' wives that there will be days when you wonder if you even like your church, let alone <laughs> sure. love your church. Yeah. You know, where people people can get you down, you can get discouraged. But but those are times that you know, Lord willing, hopefully you're working through. Mm-hmm. You know, there there are just there's short seasons or there's just phases you're going through, or there's a situation maybe that you're dealing with that that's not gonna be the way it's always going to be. Yeah. And I I think maybe and some people would say, you know, that this is a difference between men and women. I would say it's a difference between how people are wired because mm-hmm. there's a lot of guys who have strong feelings when situations come up. And You're talking lot, about me right now, aren't you? Well, but there's a lot of women who <laughs> yeah. who approach things very clinically. So right. I don't think it's a men-women thing, but for, for my wife, she does she does feel deeply some of those things that go on in the church, and, and she is like me in that she's committed to the Lord, committed to our ministry, committed to our church family, it, it, almost in an unconditional way so that when a church member says or does something that's hurtful, 
it, it's hurtful to us. You know, we, we feel that and we're disappointed. We can be discouraged. And yet the, and for me, having been in ministry now almost 29 years with my wife, you said you weren't sure yet quite how to, where the balance yeah. is, you know, how much, like Johnny, you said, you, do you vent to your wife? Right. How much do you bring her in? And and I would say, I don't think we ever figured it out. It just, it just worked out for us. Hmm. We, we by default, you don't have a formula. No, yeah. no. It's just like by default, we've, we've somehow figured out how to manage this together. And there are some things I used to have to tell my wife everything. And now when I've gone through it one time during the day, I don't really feel like reliving it and talking <laughs> about it, you know, all night. And yeah, I, maybe yeah. there was so little that went on in my early ministry that we could talk about it all three times that evening, you know, together. But now, oh my goodness, I, I can't, I don't want to talk to my wife about all this stuff. And she really doesn't want to hear it. Right. But there are certain things that our wives, they just, they get, or our husbands would just get involved in. And, you know, I like what you said, Ryan, we're a team and you, we really need our spouses in ministry to help us to uh, navigate through some of these situations. Yeah, that's probably the most helpful word is, am I sharing this? And is my spouse going to be able to help me navigate through it? Or am I doing this just to get it off my chest? And is it going to put more of a burden on that person? And, you know, maybe there are times you need to do that. But I think that was a, a helpful word you'd use, you know, is we need somebody to help navigate through this. And that's when the spouse is coming alongside and helping out. So now, Ryan, I think this is a question that I asked you over 100 episodes ago. But I, I'm going to ask it again because I still... I still don't know what I would do. I, I've been in your church, and, I, and I've, I've looked into your office. We joked last time you got the window there, so you have to keep your office nice and organized. <laughs> but uh, you know, how do you self-manage a day when there's no you decide what you do, when you do it, how long you're going to do it for? I mean, how do you walk through that process? Are you a very like high schedule per type a write it all out or do you just go with the flow a little bit yeah i'm i'm pretty structured and i had a quite a or at least several jobs where i had to self-motivate so i i worked for a window washing company where i had to set up all the the times and places and uh even i was a janitor in college as well and i had to do it all on my own as far as setting up my schedule. So some of that, I think, helped me. Even you know, I was a paper boy in Pittsburgh in you know, <laughs> sure. 1986 or <laughs> something like that. And so I think you know, I had some of those experiences that helped me in this where I, I didn't always work with a boss over my shoulder. And so that's certainly helpful in one sense. And you know, some personality, too. I'm, I'm the firstborn. I'm the oldest in my family. So I kind of I think I had just like a DNA of leading and an initiative and stuff like right. that. Um, and not everybody has has that. You know, we, that's another thing. If maybe there's a pastor out there who is feels discouraged or maybe is questioning whether they would do better in an associate role. Well, yeah, that might be the case with some guys is that you just don't have that um, type of setup and DNA to, to be a self-motivating type of person. See, I recognize when I brought Johnny on my staff that he was that type of a guy. You know, he really, he really needed that associate role. He needed somebody <laughs> who could watch over him and give I him needed a babysitter. And, yeah, yeah. You know, kind of, you know, so and he can vent to you all he wants, and yeah, he just let it bounce yeah. off. I mean, I recognize that with Johnny. You're so. well differentiated, so it's yeah. cool. <laughs> you can handle it. 
That's funny. I've appreciated I have appreciated my time as an associate is what I will say and not that it's coming to a close but I understand that I was that I had no business at 25 years old when I got here I was 25 I think at 25 years old I had no business trying to go be a senior pastor someplace like that would have been mm. maybe some people are ready at 20 how old were you when you became I was 31 when I took this church I mean that seems so. far more reasonable to yeah. me as far as age and and at 25 you know what do I know I'd have burned the place down day no, 2 no 25 year old is really ready no that's probably They're not true. ready they may do it I was 24 I did it, but yeah. I wouldn't say, well, I can say I wasn't ready, Yeah, but that's, it kind of helped make me ready. So I, I would say that that's a benefit as being an associate. And so, you know, if I was going to say what kind of lesson do we have from that? Pastor, is there somebody in your church who you can mentor, right? A younger person. Now, Ryan, we're in a college town. You have some college students coming, and that's always a great opportunity. Is there somebody you can mentor toward leadership to to teach them some of those hard lessons that you'd rather not learn on the fly when you I don't want to go vent to an elder board I'd rather vent to Jeff that's I guess what I'm saying and so is there somebody in your church and Ryan have you have you had the opportunity with any students to do that type of thing um yeah actually um there's there's been several opportunities and I got to mentor a guy for a few years now he's in full-time ministry and so oh, wow. that, that's been encouraging. And you see, and that's another thing. You never know what God's going to do in these churches under 200. You know, don't think that you have to have a church that you know, has made it to a certain amount as far as attendance goes where you're, you're going to be sending people out. We've sent right. people out. Uh, some of our students are on missions, and it's just exciting. And so, you know, don't, again, uh, don't have overly high expectations that they will crush you if they don't happen, right. but but don't uh, um, underestimate what God can do in your context and if it's small, and you never know who you can invest in, who you can mentor that will then take something else to the next level. Your size doesn't dictate your influence. That's yeah. that is a great uh, unless you've got more, John. I have I, no more. I think that is a great statement to wrap us up with. You know, don't don't be freaked out if you're not a huge church, but don't ever underestimate what a small church can mm-hmm. do in terms of ministry. Because in a small church, a new person or a student can come in mm-hmm. and get a lot of experience, get a lot of relationship building, get a lot of mentoring, be there, you know, the in the first row, right next to third base, yeah. you know, see everybody that's on the team and um, uh, basically participate in the in the life of the game. Mm-hmm. They can't do that in a church of 500, 1,000, 1,500 quite as easily or as personally. Mm-hmm. And so some people are just wired to really receive and grow in that small church context, and we get to have that. Mm-hmm. So that that's great advice. Ryan, I am impressed with the things you've had to say. I mean, you've got... You've just got a wealth of small church leadership wisdom that has come out in this episode. And I know that a lot of pastors have been listening and saying, oh, oh, yep, yep, that's me, yeah. that's me. And, oh, that's a, that's a good idea. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about that. Or, or I really needed that piece of encouragement for what I'm going through right now. So thank you for joining us, and thank you for sharing all this. Yeah, thank you guys again for having me on. It's, yeah. you know, my goal is to encourage any pastor out there. Maybe this is your Monday, and you feel like throwing in the towel. And if this is what God uses to continue to give you mm-hmm. more fruitful time, you know, don't throw in the towel. Uh, just continue to persevere looking to Jesus. I think we should have you back every 100 episodes. Yeah, sounds right. good. <laughs> see, see you at 220. All right, I appreciate it, guys. <laughs> 
All right. Well, thank you for listening to the 200 Churches Podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and inspired by this episode of the 200 Churches Podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe at 200churches.com and receive the guy's free PDF download called Our 7 Favorite Ministry Resources. You can count on us to be back next Wednesday with another brand new shiny episode just for you. Until then, may God bless you as you lead and love the people in your 200 church.